welcome to today's episode of Unpolluted, the Earth Prize podcast, which focuses on sharing the inspiring stories of change makers and experts while offering insights into their lives and their dedication to making an impact. I'm Peter McGarry. I'm the founder of the Earth Foundation, which is the home of the Earth Prize. And I'm joined today by one Cora McGarry. Hello. Cora, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And uh, I'm very happy to introduce Dashiell, one of our newest youth board members. We're super happy to have him be part of the EarthRise team. Hello. Uh, hello, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm Dashiell. I joined on to the EarthRise uh, a few weeks back. And yeah, I'm happy to be here today. Great. Well, Dashiell, you have grown up in New York, and that, to a lot of people, is a very exotic place. So, so what is it really like growing up? in New York and you touched on you've got a hell of a commute to go to school and stuff so can you can you tell us a bit about the day-to-day of that uh yeah it's pretty interesting it's really uh it's a fast-moving city so I like parts of it but uh my favorite part of the city is probably Central Park uh I walk in Central Park probably every single day uh it's a really nice place to kind of uh get away from all the hecticness and uh yeah and the chaotic nature of a really fast-paced environment uh in general I, I mean it's kind of tough to comment on the city when you really haven't lived outside of the city. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it, you don't really have that external perspective on it. So the behavior of it's kind of been normalized to me. But uh, yeah, overall, I, I don't know. Maybe I'd want to live somewhere else, though. And the school commute is definitely not preferable. Yeah, so you're up early every morning and you get back home late every day. Is that how it works? Or? Yeah, I wake up around like, five o'clock or so every school day and then I get home at like uh well I used to get home at seven but now I get home at five because I didn't do sports this year oh wow okay and you, you're a junior which means you've got how many more years left in high school uh well I've got to complete this and I got senior year and I'm off to college <laughs> okay 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 so the, the end line is inside basically <laughs> uh yeah unless I go to college in New York too then it's uh, another four years <laughs> yeah so, you know, one question we, we ask, especially the youth board, is, you know, what subjects they love in school. But, you know, you, I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm guessing you like mathematics because you, if I'm not mistaken, co-authored a book about mathematics. Can you yeah. tell us about that? Hmm. Well, maybe my favorite subject in school, it's uh, comp sci and math. Uh, mathematics, it's a very general, like it's a very broad umbrella if you think about it, kind of like with climate change, you know, how you have people who are passionate about climate change, but then normally they'll tackle like a specific issue in this umbrella problem. So for math, maybe like the big thing with me is like computational mathematics. So I like to basically program and then find this junction point between comp sci and math. Uh, So it's really a combination of my two interests. Uh, Some of the more niche things I've done in programming outside of like this AI and math standpoint is more like a I also like to do generative art in this framework called processing. So there's a lot of thing there too, like painting, uh, all of programming. Uh, So I think that there's a lot of applications outside of it that are not so standard. And I kind of like to go into those more deviant areas. What's your your go-to programming language then, may I ask? Ooh, uh, tough question. Probably... Well, probably Mathematica, to be honest, uh, because that's the software that my company makes. So, uh, yeah, I kind of need to program in that most of the time. But, uh, yeah, I, I, like, I also like like Python, uh, C, Java, JavaScript, uh, a bunch of languages, really, that I find pretty useful. 
Wow. It's impressive. The, you know a lot about this. Oh, I'm really interested in learning. You know, obviously, you're clearly very interested in math. So what is it about the environment and, you know, sustainability? Like, what draws you towards that? Because they're quite different. So what's the link for you? Interesting question. Well, for me, it wasn't so like, it wasn't such a direct correlation. Uh, maybe the real link that I could identify, like, and pinpoint here actively would be when I started working with uh, a bunch of different political campaigns because my involvement in those campaigns was more uh, tech related. Like I led a lot of organized, like relational organizing efforts, which had a lot to do with uh, data analytics. Uh, and I got into data analytics initially through a uh, website SEO. So it kind of all circled back. And then that political organizing led to climate change work. So in a sense, it was there was like this intermediary step of working with the political campaigns uh, and it didn't just go from like math to climate change. It wasn't that uh, that disparate, I guess. I'm I'm very curious about this because in your bio, you know, we talk about how um, you've you've done work for climate centric candidates. Um, you know, how frustrating is that in, in the U.S.? I know, unfortunately, climate has become quite a bipartisan, you know, polarizing issue. Um, and it seems like, yeah, it's become very party centric, you know, from your perspective, obviously you're too young, I assume to vote next November in, in, in the U S yeah, election. Yes. I actually turn 18 on the exact day that I need oh, to right. vote on November 3rd. Okay. Exciting. Um, well, but, but tell us more about, you know, your thoughts around how people like you can, can help drive climate on the agenda you know how, how do you get more candidates who, who care about this issue well i think it's really hard especially if you look at people who are i don't want to be ageist here but like particularly in people who are older because it's uh less uh, of a direct value thing right because if you're younger then you're obviously going to be living with the effects of climate change throughout your entire life whereas you know if you're like 80 then maybe in like 10 years and you're not going to be with us then maybe that's not such a big thing for you so I think a larger part of it is, and this is kind of just natural, is probably getting in younger candidates into politics. Uh, and if you look at like specifically last two presidential candidates, they tend to be really old, like around 70, 80-ish. So uh, I don't think that we have that like climate-focused agenda uh, in those higher political offices. And also, I feel like there's a lot of talking about climate change, but not too much action being taken. And then whenever someone proposes this like radical, this like, radical plan that like uh, suits this timeline that we need to to kind of reverse the effects of climate change, it's always just really uh, kind of like ostracized. Like most recently, from my own experience, was when I worked with uh, AOC's team uh, with the Green New Deal. A lot of people just like immediately disagreed with that. But you know, maybe that type of uh, dramatic shift is kind of what we need to see to you know make real lasting effects in climate change so i think that's the big thing though is probably circulating younger people into that uh yeah also like just decentralizing i know like especially with the cops uh where there's a lot of discussions but most recently uh i don't know if you, you guys have probably heard of this but greta thunberg basically called it like kind of a hoax pretty much it's like a shell for people to talk about it but they don't actually take action based off of what they talk about there it's just to portray like it seemed like they're taking action on this global stage so yeah i feel like that kind of needs to be a little bit more condemned uh 
more action-based really is the message, I think. Yeah, no, that's great points. I, I do think a lot of people get frustrated with COP and, you know, the fact that there's no obvious change that emanates from these, but I think there's a lot of goodwill. Um, speaking of goodwill, you reached out to us, which makes you very different from a lot of our other youth board members. Um, uh, I assume, therefore, that you had heard about the Earth Prize and you obviously, you know, you decided you wanted to be on the youth board. Where where did you hear about us and, and, and what drove that desire? Well, that's a much longer story. But so, uh, where to touch on? Well, I guess the most natural thing to touch on would be uh, in ninth grade and 10th grade, I competed in kind of a similar challenge. I competed in the Comrade Challenge, which I'm sure you guys are aware of. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of like the same ecosystem of people competing in a lot of those competitions. So, you know, this year I kind of found out about the Earth Prize. Uh, and then also I've always been more uh, a little bit more inclined to climate work because I have an aunt who does a lot of work uh, in terms of sustainability, specifically in oceans. Uh, and sequestering carbon through things like uh, minerals and seaweeds. Uh, and she does a lot of work with the government there. So I feel like I've always had this inclination towards climate work outside of this general umbrella of making innovative solutions to improve the future, which I think is what the uh, Comrade Challenge is more oriented towards. So that's what really inspired me to get involved with the Earth Prize, to be honest. It's more direct, it's more focused, uh, and it's more niche. So it's really, there's this chance to uh, do really good work, I think. Great. Uh, it's great to have you on board. Yeah. I want to re like return to something you mentioned earlier. Well, from research, I've uh, I've actually used it a couple times myself. So when I saw that you're an ambassador, I found it really interesting. Do you want to you know explain to people listening if they've not heard about it yet, like you know what it is and what what you're trying to achieve by being an ambassador why you wanted to be an ambassador i want to you know obviously hear a bit more about that because it's something that i personally have used so well yeah i'm guessing that what you're familiar with is wolfram alpha right yeah 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 and not <laughs> honestly i got involved for the programming language which i thought was cool because uh it allowed me to essentially take math and combine it with art like a lot of my most recent work there has been, uh, well, actually last night, I did a whole long blog post about something called the Riemann zeta function and visualizing that and like density plots and making all types of cool things to see complex behaviors from the, that math. So I feel like the programming language is what really interested me uh, in terms of what they actually do as a company. Uh, they make something called like this computational uh, knowledge base. So essentially it's kind of like Google, except when you enter a prompt into Google, like whatever your query is, right? You're going to get like a whole list of sources. But when you enter it into Wolfram Alpha, it's just going to compute an answer for you. So like you could say, uh, I don't know, what's the factorial of 10? Uh, I actually, probably like 3 million something. Like, yeah, so you'll get like, and then it'll just compute the factorial of 10 uh, and return that answer, whereas Google will return a whole list of sources. Uh, and it also return all these interesting visualizations too. Uh, yeah, so I think the knowledge base, it's really cool. Uh, there's this huge intersection, right, between like these knowledge bases and AI, because essentially like taking the output and the answer that you get from the knowledge base and feeding it into sources like ChatGPT to combine all this natural language processing uh, and things of that kind. So I think that that's really neat. Uh, yeah, I initially got involved though, really because of the programming language and not because of that. Well, I guess both of them are really commercialized. 
but uh yeah more the programming language than uh wolfram alpha for me okay so Joshua, you you mentioned ChatGPT there and and that is when people talk about ai uh, i've been reading about ai for maybe 10 15 20 years i'm a big fan of um you know the singularity uh this idea that you know we're going to hit a point where uh, yeah, the, the machines um, become more intelligent than humans, and we, it's impossible to predict what will happen. You, you know, you're on the cutting edge of this. Um, when you think about AI, you know, what what do you think about? Interesting question. I mean, I go to a few things, right? For me personally, uh, and in terms of what I personally do with AI, uh, and this is probably going to seem pretty surprising, but I actually think a lot about manufacturing. Uh, and I think like, you know, how do we apply AI in manufacturing? Because if you look at assembly line workers specifically, it's like the average pay is like, it's pretty low. It's like $30,000 a year or something. It's like almost illegal. So I think that applying AI to things like manufacturing, it really has this chance to improve quality of life. Uh, I think that in terms of things like ChatGPT, I think it's all pretty interesting. Uh, you know, like these really big consumer facing products. Uh, I think that they have a good chance at really improving productivity. Uh, as we've already seen in terms of ai being more intelligent than us honestly i really haven't given too much thought to it i think we're pretty far off from that point though like if you look at specifically chat gpt you know the nature of it being an llm it's kind of just taking everything that we've already done and using that and finding patterns in that text to produce this uh, output that's seemingly new but really is just like predicated off of things that we've already done so i feel like it's definitely really good uh, in certain applications and then in others, maybe it's not so good. Like, uh, and also like the context that you're using it in, like, I imagine if a lawyer is using ChatGPT to write its case, that's a pretty horrible thing. But, uh, yeah, if you're just using it to like, I don't know, summarize a paragraph of text into three bullet points, then maybe that's an appropriate use case. Uh, yeah, there's a lot more discussions that need to happen around that. Also like the other thing I think about in AI, which I assume is also kind of surprising, is like actors. I think a lot about acting and the acting industry specifically. Like what's going to happen to all these background actors and these entry-level positions that are getting basically totally wiped out by AI? Like if you can just generate 200 background actors, then how, do, how does an actor even, you know, proceed in the acting industry? Like is that just all connections-based or, you know, I think that there's a lot and how that affects like the meritocracy. Because I really wouldn't know where to start if I couldn't just start in background acting as an actor. Uh, all but my knowledge of acting is pretty limited. But uh, yeah, so I think a lot about the industry. Uh, you know, job displacement, of course, is a huge one. Like where are all these jobs going to go and like writing and copywriting. Uh, I think over time, that's going to be another problem. Uh, and then there's also this environmental thing. It's pretty horrible environmentally. Uh, and I'm sure that there's going to be all types of pushes to make this more sustainable. But uh, it's a huge contribu uh, contributor to emissions, like these data plants where all this is being processed and all the GPUs are to power these AIs. Uh, it's really horrible for the climate. So I'm honestly not sure if having like half the world use ChatGPT is particularly good, uh, given this huge environmental cost that we're going to see. So yeah, everything has its drawbacks. And I'm sure that it's kind of this dynamic landscape that we're going to see evolve probably over the next 20 years mainly, and then just continue to go from there. Yeah, that's that's a great point about data centers and their environmental footprint. 
you know, I'm, I'm familiar, for example, a lot of people won't know this, but in Ireland, you know, 20% of electricity usage is data centers, which is astounding when you think about it. Um, so, yeah, it is an issue. I think that's going to become more and more uh, yeah, newsworthy. Uh, and I, I assume, you know, being somebody who works in, in markets and a, as a trader, the way you, you get around that is, you know, you charge people, you know, so that, in other words, you only use things like LLMs for high, um, high value add needs, you know, so therefore you're limiting the usage. But it's, it's a fascinating area. One, one thing that we found at the Earth Prize is, you know, we've seen mentors use uh, ChatGPT to come up with answers for questions from some of our participants. I, I'm curious, you know, I'm not sure there's a right answer, but where, where would you be, Dashiell, on that? Are you pro or are you against? You know, like, should we use the tools or, you know, is it a futile to try and resist? It's tough. Like, I, I don't... Yeah, that's a really tough question. I think uh, it's kind of a disservice, to be honest, to, like the people that you're trying to help out if you're just taking this really general advice that's being spit out by an AI. Because like they can ultimately just ask ChatGPT and get your your quality of advice. And I feel like the individual should be able to contribute more than that. Uh, yeah, and I feel like honestly, in an industry setting though, maybe it's okay because I think that we're really focused on the output and we optimize for things like profit uh, and, and like the end state of all these efforts. And in academia, it's more process-based. So I would say in academia, probably really like severely regulate AI. But if I'm a software development company and I ask ChatGPT to write like, you know, X, X portion of my code uh, and the code works, then I imagine that that's okay because they're really optimizing for profit and that's going to drive profit and efficiency. So I think it's really a contextual thing. Yeah, I think it won't be long until we have a an entrance into the Earth Prize that is purely AI generated, which uh, I guess in some ways, you know, we, we probably are going to have to embrace that because, you know, we want good ideas at the end of the day, you know, whether they're generated by AI or, or by an individual. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't be uh, too concerned, but, but it, it's a fascinating topic. I mean... But wouldn't you say that, like, in part, you're not only betting on the idea, you're also betting on the person? Because if you think about it, like, a really good person can probably take a mediocre, like, and I'm really taking this from venture capital because they say something, there's like this old saying, uh, which I'm going to totally butcher, but uh, there's like this saying, I think it's like, bet on the rider, not the horse, or I, I'm really not sure. But like, the idea is, is that, like, this really great founder of a company can take a mediocre idea and then make it like a great company and they can take and, and they're going to assemble a really high caliber team and they'll excel from there. Whereas uh, a bad founder can have a really excellent idea and still not really make it that far. So in, in all these like startup communities, like I, I'm not sure if you've heard of them, but in Y Combinator, there's always this discussion of how much are they accepting the idea versus how much are they accepting the person behind the idea. So I feel like if it's just AI, I feel like you don't, there really is no person behind the idea. There's an AI behind the idea. So I feel like that's pretty tough. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. All good. Sorry. We can edit that bit out. Um, okay. 
Um, let me see what, where should we go next? Cora, do you want to, do you want to take us somewhere? Uh, sure. Let's go for the UN science summit. Ask the question now. Um, so I would love to know more about your experiences with the UN science summit. You know, living in Geneva, I'm, I encounter the UN and all their different functions very frequently. And so I want to know from, you know, like a U.S. perspective instead of a Geneva perspective, what was that experience like? You know, what did you gain from it? And uh, like working with such an international group. Yeah. I have very mixed opinions on the U.N. Like for me, I'll be I'll be totally honest. Going into like my workshop, uh, I honestly didn't like it. Like I know I know this is going to sound a little bit weird, but I really like strongly disliked it because I felt like the reason why I was there was to have like this young person host some workshop and then to feel like, okay, we're integrating this youth perspective into our climate work. But like, are you really like, are you, is that, is that workshop really being considered or is it just for the public to see like there's some young person uh, in those discussions? Uh, but is anything like of substance and in the long term being taken from that workshop? So I'm really not sure. I, I kind of, I mean, my experience working in my team, uh, right, because we chose like someone from each continent, I think. So I was kind of the guy from uh, the North American continent and I had a pretty good experience. Uh, it was more of a reflection on like my experiences in STEM and how that can be uh, used to inspire uh, other youth in STEM. So I thought it was pretty interesting. I think uh, it was a lot more like, it's tough to say this, but it was honestly a lot more showboating than like actual work in my opinion. Yeah, well, I, you've probably heard the expression sports washing or green washing. Yeah. There is a little bit of youth washing sometimes where I think it's good that you have that healthy skepticism. But at the same time, you know, I have seen it work in settings where you have this intergenerational kind of exchange of ideas and it, it can be valuable. So I wouldn't be totally dismissive. Um, yeah. So. I, oops, sorry, go okay. for that. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, honestly, I would agree that there's like a lot of intergenerational synergy that's really good. But I feel like, honestly, if you look at like the room where like the really important decisions are being made, it tends to be like one class of people and one age category. I feel like, you know, in the White House, when they're making important policy decisions, you don't see a teenager in that room. You see a bunch of like middle aged men. So like, honestly, I, I don't, I feel like the perspective is there, but it's there at more of a lower level instead of like the level where all the decisions are being directly made. Uh, and, and, you know, I guess that there's something to be said there too. Like, should we have people who are younger and with youth comes kind of this level of inexperience too, because obviously I'm not going to have the experiences of a 40 or 50 year old. So, you know, where's the trade off there, but yeah, I feel like it's a little bit more of an illusion than like, Oh, we're making actually important decisions. I'm not, I'm not sure though. So I, I can give you one real-world example where a middle-aged man was affected by the actions <laughs> of a lot of young teenagers. And that's me. You know, I, I was sitting here in the same office in Geneva when I saw one of the school strikes, you know, march through the streets of Geneva. And that really triggered me to go and do something. And hence, you know, I set up the Earth Prize. And... Those school strikes were in turn inspired by a 15-year-old girl in Stockholm who decided to go on strike, you know, who is now, you know, we all know, super famous. Um, so 
you know, if you go back into the shoes of the first day that that 15-year-old girl, you know, sat outside the parliament or all those kids in Geneva who on that day, you know, went on marched in the streets, you know, I, I think it's, things can be triggered um, and you, you never know what your actions uh, are going to achieve. And yeah, you know, hopefully through the youth board, you know, you're going to be able to trigger changes in our ecosystem that are going to have knock on positive consequences, yeah. you know? So I, I look, always be skeptical would be, you know, uh, that's a, that's a really important uh, life trait, but you, you also have to be a little bit optimistic. Oh no, sorry guys. <laughs> it's two now. Okay. I'm I'm, I'm going to finish that comment and then they can splice it together. Okay. Okay. So, you know, my, my final word is, you know, stay, stay positive, stay optimistic. Um, that should be, before we go, you know, you're still in high school, but when you think about the future, what, what, have you got a plan? Have you got dreams that, you know, where you want to go next? Mm, uh, it's tough. I'm like debating like in the more immediate future, what I want to study in college between business and computer science. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. Uh, and also what type of work do I want to be doing down the long run? I I've hope it'd be something that like integrates a little bit of climate change activism. Uh, also implementing some private sector work. Uh, yeah, it's really tough for me. Like, honestly, I'm kind of like an immediate future guy. Like I forecast like maybe a month or two months in advance, not like in these factors, like five years in advance. That's uh, pretty far ahead for me. Yeah, that's, that's you know what? That's the right approach. Well, uh, Dashiell Mars, it's been a, a lot of fun getting to know you. Uh, we're very happy to have you on the youth board. And... We've got a lot of interesting initiatives that we are looking forward to getting your input on in, in the weeks and months in the future. Uh, Cora, thank you as ever. Uh, I just want to say thanks to everyone for joining us on today's episode of Unpolluted. Uh, we hope these captivating stories uh, inspire you. And um, thank you for being part of this Unpolluted community. Until next time. Oh, uh, yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye.